Welcome to Home Health 360, a podcast presented by Eliacare. I'm your host, Jeff Howell, and this is the show about learning from the best in home health care from around the globe. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Home Health 360, where we speak with leaders in home care and home health from across the globe. Today's guest wears many hats. In 1996, he took his speaking and consulting business and broke it down into two divisions, executive mastery and executive coaching and team development consulting practice, and leading home care, which you can find at leadinghomecare.com, a strategic advisory service strictly for home health, hospice, and private duty, working with leaders that want to be in the top 10% of the business. And in 2012, Home Care CEO was formed, which is a place for owners, administrators, and C-suite executives from leading agencies to be able to connect to each other, share information, solve problems, and develop strategies for growth. He's also the author of Conquering the Crisis, Proven Strategies for Caregiver Recruiting and Retention. So listeners, today we've scored the guest who literally wrote the book on caregiver recruiting. Stephen Tweed, Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks so much, Jeff. It's great to be with you. So, Stephen, you've been serving home health hospice and private duty home care since the 80s. What led you to uh, get into the industry? Well, of course, it was a natural progression, uh, as you might expect. I started my career uh, working in the underground coal mining machinery business, and my first assignment was 600 feet underground in the bottom of a coal mine in southern West Virginia. And it's been uphill ever since. <laughs> and uh, in the early 80s, of course, the economy was uh, pretty ugly looking. And I shifted my business from working with manufacturing organizations to the service sector and particularly healthcare. And a local home health agency in the small town in Western Pennsylvania asked me to work with their board of directors and their leadership team on some strategic planning. And we did that, and they liked what I did, and they liked me as a person, and I liked them, and we formed a long-term connection. And that CEO is still a close personal friend in spite of having been retired for a few years. And she introduced me to other home health companies in Western Pennsylvania. She took me to their state association and then to national associations, and that led me into the industry. And I just really connected with the people in, in home health and hospice and home care, mostly because of the core values and the culture that guide their thinking and their decisions. And so it's been a love affair for uh, almost four decades now. And um, we love the people and we love what they do. And um, we think we're making a difference. Well, it sounds like you're on a, you have a great cause. What I'm really obsessed with is that I love the idea of masterminds and I find that they're so very rare. I noticed on your website that you break down your mastermind groups by proof of service of hours of week. And I'm just curious, how, how did this come to evolve and what can someone expect if they're interested in joining one of the masterminds? Well, um, in 2002, my son and I uh, got together and formed the part of our company that we now know as Leading Home Care. And uh, a, a lot of our emphasis was on the home health and hospice side, but we also recognized that this other sector 
that back then was known as private duty home care is now simply known as home care, but it's the in-home personal care side of the business. And so we, we developed a focus there. And over the next decade, we really worked with a lot of different companies. And so in 2012, uh, the owner of a company in St. Louis was coming through Louisville. He stopped in our office. We had a conversation. He said, I would love to have a group of other companies the same size as our company who could get together and share ideas and solve problems and support one another. And so I said, I think we can do that. And we put the very first mastermind group together in February of 2013, and it was five companies. And back then we called it the $5 million mastermind group. And at that time, $5 million was a big company. Uh, as you know, uh, Jeff, the, the home care space, uh, the in-home personal care is a highly fragmented sector of the industry. In the U.S., there are 26,000 companies doing this work, and the median size is a million six. So these are fairly small company. So a $5 million company at that time was a big deal. So we had five companies come together. We met. They liked each other. They liked what we did. And they said, yeah, let's keep it going as a mastermind group. And so that group ran, uh, is still running today. We shifted the name about eight years ago. And now we call it the top 5% group. And right now it is uh, 13 companies and they range in size from 10 million to 25 million in annual revenue. So that puts them really at about the 98th percentile in terms of, of annual revenue. Um, and then we had some smaller companies that expressed some interest. So in 2015, we started a group called the Strategic Growth Mastermind Group. And this was companies between one and a half and three million. And that group is still going. We actually split it into two groups. And I was just with them yesterday in Chicago, visiting one of our top 5% members. And so we have 24 companies, and we divided that into two groups. And they're between one and a half and, and three million. And then a couple of years later, we started our top 10% group, and that's companies between three and six million. And then our top 7% group is companies between six and 12 million. And the reason we have all these different groups is we learned that that people want to be in a group with similar size companies. And also they want to be in a group where there are no competitors. And so having five different groups enables us to uh, lead these people in conversations with companies that are their same size and with whom they do not compete. And by competing, you mean in the same geographic market? Yeah, they're, they're all spread around geographically. Of course, our market is all the U.S. and Canada. Uh, we don't have any mastermind groups uh, in the, in uh, right now with members from Canada, uh, but I've done uh, some work with some of the home care companies in, in Canada. But um, our our members are spread from uh, from Honolulu, Hawaii to Southwest Florida, uh, from uh, Boston to Spokane, Washington, and Seattle, Tacoma, uh, and a lot of places in between. And so the fact that they're spread out geographically means that they can be in the same group and not compete with one another. Got it. And uh, what would be the frequency of uh, how often you get together? And has that been affected by COVID? Um, our groups meet twice a year face-to-face -face for a day and a half. Um, and then once a month by Zoom video. And then once a month, we have what we call our mastermind town hall. And that is a gathering of all 52 companies on Zoom uh, and we have a program around a particular topic. So this past uh, couple of weeks ago, the first part of September, um, we had a mastermind town hall focusing on leadership development 
and what companies are doing to develop members of their uh, leadership team. Other topics are related to um, other things that they may be interested in that affect everybody that, that don't involve a competitive discussion. And then we follow up those mastermind town halls with our individual mastermind groups. Um, so as I mentioned, I was just with our strategic growth group up in Chicago this past weekend. Um, we started on a Sunday night with a, a dinner, a social time. Uh, the next morning, we, we went and visited another larger company for half a day. Then we went back to the hotel, had lunch, debriefed that visit that afternoon. And that was an amazing conversation as they talked about what they learned from visiting this larger home care company. And then the next morning, um, we talked about what we call the big burning issues. What's the one thing that you're working on that's, that's important to growing your business? And then we adjourn, people catch a flight home. And uh, so that's pretty typical uh, of, of our group meetings. And we take them all around the country uh, for, for different uh, locations, visiting other companies, visiting our member companies. Um, sometimes we go somewhere warm just to get away from the snow and the cold. <laughs> what uh, We'll get to recruiting and uh, retention, of course, a little bit later. We can't not talk about that. Uh, what would you say, though, other than recruiting and retention, what are the hot buttons that people are talking about these days? Um, I think there are a couple of things that our members are working on diligently. Uh, one of them, which is related to recruiting and, and retention, is really crafting their company culture. One of the lessons we learned from our, our mega companies was that you know, culture eats strategy for business. Culture is the way we do things around here. And the culture of a company is influenced by four specific factors. One is the leadership style of the CEO. One is the core values that guide decisions and actions. Uh, the third is the behaviors that we expect. And then the fourth is the behaviors that we permit. And um, so a lot of their Groups are working on defining their core values, defining the behaviors that go with those core values, and then communicating that to the organization and working to get all of their people in alignment with those core values of the company and dealing with how do you address behavior that's not in alignment with the expected behaviors. My wife is a executive coach and works with CEOs of hospitals and works with physician leaders in academic medicine. And one of her mantras is the behavior you permit, you promote. And so as working on crafting the culture, it's really about defining those values and defining the behaviors. And then we take that out, obviously building your office support team culture becomes important, it becomes really critically important when we get to that recruiting and retention issue it's all about creating a great place to work and using that to leverage our message as we're trying to attract new caregivers. Got it. I love the behavior you permit is what you promote. I've always uh, said it in you, you get what you tolerate. <laughs> That's right. So our, our chat on LinkedIn, this is how we connected. We were already uh, sort of random LinkedIn friends and then uh, love it when, you know, you uh, hook up with someone that uh, just through comments on social posts. Um, the chat was around 55%, sorry, 57% of the turnover coming in the first 90 days in the industry. And in response to that, 
your mastermind groups have been able to identify the top three causes of this 90-day turnover phenomenon and strategies to overcome them. So let's dive right in. What uh, have you identified as the three and and how are you going about solving these? The 57% in the first 90 days comes from data from Home Care Pulse. And of course, they produce the annual home care benchmarking study. And we've been watching the turnover number in home care for a decade. And back in 29, 2009, it was like 36%. And it's increased steadily. Okay. And it peaked in 2018 at about 82%. But then it leveled off. And what we realized in looking at that data that overall caregiver turnover the last six years has been in the mid-60s. But coming out of that same study, we learned that, as you said, 57% of turnover happens in the first 90 days. And so we dug into that, and we actually created what we called uh, a, a program called Caregiver Quality Assurance, and we put together two caregiver quality mastermind groups that spent two years really digging into uh, five different phases of recruiting and retention and selection and onboarding. Um, And so digging into this 90-day turnover issue, we identified the three big causes. Number one is bad hires. And what we learned is that most home care companies are not doing a good job of selection. They're hiring anybody who can breathe on a mirror because they're so desperate for caregivers. And those caregivers come on board, and in the first two weeks, they figure out they're not cut out for this work. And so they leave. And as you know, oftentimes the way that caregivers leave a home care company is they just disappear. They ghost the company. They don't, t- they, they don't show up for a shift. They don't call. Um, they don't answer. And so they just, they just disappear. And so uh, we then began to look at what can we do to attract better quality applicants and what can we do to do a better job of selection to reduce those bad hires. And the bad hires usually disappear in the first 30 days, uh, sometimes 14 days. And so uh, we've made some significant progress in that area. The second big cause of 90-day turnover is what I have labeled paycheck balance. And that is a caregiver. And and as you know, uh, Jeff, um, a lot of these caregivers are uh, low income, relatively low education level, And they're often what we call economically fragile workers. Uh, They live paycheck to paycheck. And if something happens that disrupts their work and their pay, they're in a short-term crisis. And so what we realized is that if we can work with a caregiver to understand how much money they need in their paycheck at the end of the pay period, and then we can give them enough hours to meet their financial needs they're not going to have to go look somewhere else for more hours or more work or a higher rate of pay. And so we've developed some techniques to have the scheduling coordinators in home care companies have an awareness of the paycheck, take-home paycheck expectations of each caregiver and monitor their hours throughout the course of the week. And so they can have a conversation with that caregiver around Sally, you said you needed to have $500 in your paycheck, but this week you've only worked enough hours to have 400. If you want to get that amount in your paycheck, you're going to need a few more hours. I have a shift available for you. Would you like to work uh, and get your paycheck up to your expectations? And that's a very different conversation than 
uh, hey, Sally, I'm really in a jam. I need somebody to cover this shift. Can you help me out here? Um, and so it, it shifts the focus on the caregiver and how can we help you meet your needs, which is to have a paycheck that, that meets your financial uh, obligations. Do you find that most agencies don't create the right scheduling culture where it's just schedulers that are saying, oh, who, how can I just best fill this visit? And they may use their tribal knowledge of who's who or who they like. And there may be some caregivers that get all the hours they want. And it's based on the personal bias or preferences of the schedulers and that the right culture isn't being set for schedulers to be benchmarked against trying to reduce turnover by providing this minimum threshold for the new caregivers. Yes, you're exactly right. And and it's it's a as you said, a natural phenomenon. You know, people want to do business with people that they like. And so the schedulers have caregivers that they like and will help them out and bail them out of a jam. And they tend to call the same people over and over and over again. And that's this paycheck balance because the newer caregivers get hired, they go through orientation, they get their first shift, and maybe they have a full schedule for the first two weeks, but they lose a client who goes in the hospital or cuts back their hours or whatever. And now that that caregiver who said, I want 40 hours is only working 30. But that scheduling coordinator who doesn't know that new caregiver, because she's only been on board for four weeks, doesn't think to call her up and offer her a shift. And so her paycheck is now below where she needs it to be. And she goes and looks for hours with another home care company or some other uh, place of employment. So you're exactly right. And the scheduling coordinator is really a key to this process. And one of the things that we're working with our mastermind members on is helping them put in place systems and helping their scheduling coordinators understand the benefits of of balancing the workout among um, all the active caregivers. Matter of fact, we were having a conversation yesterday uh, because many of our uh, home care companies are turning away new clients. And one of our members was saying, well, wait a minute, I have some caregivers that aren't working, and yet I'm hearing the person taking the inquiry call saying, no, I'm sorry, we can't help you. We don't have any caregivers. She's saying, what's wrong with this picture? And they dug into it, and they did, in fact, have caregivers uh, who had hours available uh, that wasn't being scheduled, and yet the schedulers were saying, I can't find anybody to take these shifts. And so it, it, part of it is, is people, that is the, the scheduling coordinators and them working with the people that they like, but the other is processes to help the scheduling coordinators see who's available, who could use more hours, and that goes back to this paycheck balance piece, and it goes back to the technology. You know, when you look at Eliacare and that scheduling system, there's capabilities in there to help those scheduling coordinators systematize the process. But if they don't use it to the full capability, then, as you said, they call the people that they like and they don't call the people that they don't know. Right. I can rely on Megan to fill this visit. That's what my objective is. I'm going to get it done. And poor Ryan, who just started, uh, needs the hours and he needs to ramp up to the, the utilization rate that allows him to stay and not have to seek employment elsewhere because he has bills to pay. Exactly. Yep. Good, good illustration. Okay. So what's number three? So the third one is uh, lack of uh, I- I- employee engagement. 
Um, we did a best caregiver study a couple of years ago where we uh, surveyed um, several hundred caregivers who were identified by their employer as best caregivers based on two criteria. Uh, number one was client satisfaction and number two is reliability. So we had 184 individuals complete our online survey and we learned a huge amount about uh, this issues of the best caregivers. And, and, and what we learned from that is the reason best caregivers stay with a company is number one, they're doing meaningful work. The best full-time professional caregivers love their work. They love their clients. They, they believe what they're doing makes a difference. And this is their career. So then it's a question of they're going to work with your company or my company. Uh, so that, that's a given. The next one, the reason they stay is they feel valued and appreciated by their clients. The third one is they feel valued and appreciated by their immediate supervisor and number six is they feel valued and appreciated by the owner of the company. So this feeling valued and appreciated and connected. But we take a new caregiver. We put them through orientation. We treat them nicely. We give them a schedule. And they're out there working on their own. And many times they don't hear from anybody for the first 30 days. And so it's that lack of connection, nobody to talk to, who can help me out here. I'm all on my own. Maybe I didn't get enough training that I feel competent and confident in caring for this elderly person. Um, and so um, when another opportunity comes up or if I lose a client or whatever, I just sort of slide away and nobody notices. And so as part of our 90-day retention plan, we have built out a template that companies can use to have a series of touch points with caregivers um, beginning on day one. And we have touch points multiple times during the first week, multiple times during the second week. We do a paycheck balance check at the, at the end of the first pay period. So there's a whole series of things that we have built into this 90-day retention plan to increase that employee engagement and help these caregivers feel like they're part of a company that cares about them and that they feel valued and appreciated. So that's interesting because I can see the life of coordinators and schedulers being hectic as well. And you have this invisible workforce that I can totally see how the schedulers are, hey, I need to fill these visits and I'm going to be sending out offers and I'm just going to be, I'm the one who's filling the visits. Right. And yet there's a human on the other end of this that's looking for some kind of sense of community and belonging and appreciation that um, they're, they're not getting the love if it's just they're getting these offers to fill visits and there's no human uh, connection here. Exactly. Yep. So you mentioned um, you've been at this for quite a while. I'm curious, you know, the numbers were much more in check in the past. And I'm curious, you've seen you know, thankfully the numbers sort of peaked in 2018 and they've come back to a bit more of a reasonable amount, but to be down at just 36% from 2009, what's your view of how has the world changed and why are we still in the 60, you know, 60% turnover instead of 36%? What's your view of how life is different from 2009? Well, I, I think there are, um, 
several issues that contribute to that increasing turnover number. One is in 2009, we were coming out of the major recession that happened in 2008. Um, Unemployment was very high and people were looking for work. And so um, people weren't leaving their jobs for for minor reasons. They, you know, there had to be some significant reason why they would quit one company and go to another or quit one occupation in home care and go to food service or hospitality or whatever. But but from 2009 up to 2017, we saw this steady increase in turnover as the economy uh, improved and as the need for home care increased dramatically. You know, if you look at the number of home care companies and the number of older adults who are using home care services, it's increased dramatically from 2009 to 2018. Um, and, and so this, some of it is just pure demographics. There simply aren't enough people working in this industry to meet the needs of the aging population. And they know they can go and work with any company anytime. Uh, and so uh, there has not been a lot of loyalty to the company. Um, the other issues that then have to do with changes in the industry as we said, it's a highly fragmented industry with 26,000 companies. The median size is a million nine, so a lot of little companies. But in the last five years, there's been significant consolidation in the industry as uh, companies are growing through acquisition, uh, as some private equity groups have come into home care, uh, bought a home care company as a platform, and then, then have gone out to acquire other home care companies. So that has changed the dynamic of the industry. Um, we see, I think it's t- uh, uh, 10 of the top 12 franchise companies in, in the US and Canada are owned by private equity groups. Um, and so the, the the business model and the dynamic of the home care space has shifted pretty dramatically in the past decade. And so all of that coming together has contributed to the increasing turnover. Then we hit covid and the, the COVID relief programs and all the government money that's out there. And we saw a significant drop off of new applicants to caregiver recruiting in the spring of 2021. And we looked at it and identified what we called the perfect storm of recruiting. Uh, in, in April, uh, these caregivers that were working had just received their federal income tax refund checks, and the average caregiver making $20,000 a year was, was getting $2,600 back from the IRS. Um, we saw the COVID relief money, and people were getting uh, hundreds of dollars of uh, uh, benefits from the government, and then unemployment was rampant, and the federal government and the state governments had extended the unemployment compensation um, and they were not enforcing the regulations that said you need to be looking for work in order to s- stay on unemployment. And so you put those three things together and there were just a lot of people uh, that had money from the government that meant they didn't have to work. Uh, and in some cases, they were penalized for working. And so that continued through 2021, early into 2022. Um, when some of those benefits began to go away and people had spent the money in their checking and savings accounts, then we started seeing more people applying to come back to work. So that's part of the dynamic that we've un- identified 
And um, some of that is still with us today. And then the more people starting to come back to work, is that sort of anecdotal through your masterminds or is anyone tracking that data on uh, an influx of caregivers coming back in or? Um, we don't have any industry data, but we have a number of examples of our mastermind members who, who tr- you know, the, we, we help them set up scorecards. So they're tracking every week how many applications they're getting. And then, th- then if you can imagine this recruiting and retention process as a big funnel and we put applicants into the top of the funnel and then we have our filtering and screening and our selection process um, and, and so we filter people out and coming out of the bottom of the funnel if we do it well is a steady straight of high quality applicants um, what's happened is that um, as we have we, we set up a series of metrics from the top of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel and as we track those metrics and our members report it out, we saw in in the spring of, of 2022, um, a lot of our members were saying, you know, we're getting almost no applicants. Uh, we're doing all the things that we've done. We've, you know, all these ideas we get from our colleagues, and yet nobody's applying for work. And then in the spring, it began to open up. And through May, like May and June, we began to see more applicants applying. And our members were telling us we're seeing more quality applicants. Um, we're seeing people coming back to work who were home care caregivers who maybe had been off for a year because they had money in their in their checking accounts. Uh, I remember anecdotally, one of our members told us um, about uh, this. It was this summer and they were doing orientation for a group of new caregivers. And at the end of orientation, they sent their people uh, out of the room with a schedule to start work, sometimes as soon as the next day. And they had a applicant in the room, went through hiring, went through orientation. At the end of the day, they said, well, here's your schedule. And she said, oh, no, no, I can't. I can't start work now um, in July. I still have money in my checking account, so I won't be able to start working again until September. And it was just one of those you just shake your head and say, what's wrong with this picture? But that was the mindset of this individual, that as long as she had money in her checking account, she wasn't going back to work. And so I think that's part of the phenomenon that we have seen. And, and, and so all of the companies in the industry are struggling with what to do, what to do differently, what to do that works. And that's a big part of what we've been doing in our mastermind groups is having very specific conversations around very specific techniques and what different members are doing and what's worked and how you tweak it here and how you shift it there. You can't use the broad brush approach. You know, the, the home care pulse data show that, that the number one recruiting source in home care is indeed.com and their online job board. Yet the same report shows that the highest turnover of caregivers comes from indeed.com. And so, uh, recruiters are using these online job boards and they've got a revolving door. They're hiring people and they're leaving in the first two weeks or the first six weeks or the first 90 days. Um, and there are other techniques that are way more effective, but takes more work, don't get as many applicants. And so they're, they're not applying those other techniques. So that's what we've been digging into with our members is um, how do you really make Indeed.com work? Or how do you make your employee referral program work? Or how do you go out and, and recruit? caregivers from four-year schools of nursing 
So you you got to really dig into the specifics. Yeah, and I mean that's the um, I, I absolutely love this structured series of touch points and creating a culture around uh, everyone in the back office is part of the retention team. And if you show me the incentive, I'll show you the behavior, mm-hmm. right? So if if you reward that team for, and we see the same things in our data, is that exiting caregivers say, I didn't feel like I was communicated with from the from the office. And also I didn't get the hours. I needed to I, I needed to pay my next uh, my next rent check. So the other um, and I love this concept of the the paycheck balance. So rather than turning, you know, I've got shifts to fill, it's more that you're helping the caregiver um, be able to pay their bills by having top of mind what their, you know, what the paycheck is that they require to stay at the company. Right. So I'm curious, the, um, have you seen much in the way of innovation? And I've talked to some agencies that they, their recruiting process through COVID, they just rethought everything and they were able to change the length of time of hiring a caregiver from days down to hours. I'm curious if you're seeing automations and, um, virtual onboarding, what it is that, you know, rather than just people applying and showing up physically and doing an interview, I'm curious what success stories you've heard of, of agencies being able to condense just the amount of time and friction involved in the actual hiring process. Um, Absolutely. Um, We have labeled it speed to hire. And as we've had this conversation, many of our members have really focused on what they can do to improve their speed to hire. And, you know, we can remember times when bigger organizations that had more bureaucracy were taken, you know, 21 days to hire a caregiver. And we have members that have it down to two days or three days or four days. Uh, And some of that depends on the weekly cycle, but they have a system whereby, you know, they're recruiting all the time, they're interviewing all the time, they're orienting on a regular basis. And so that speed to hire could be anywhere from two days to five days. Um, with and, and, and we define the time frame or speed for speed to hire from the moment the applicant pushes the submit button on their phone or their tablet or their computer, and that application is submitted until they're what we call shift ready. They're ready to take their first shift. And most of our members have their models so that as soon as they complete orientation, they have a schedule and that and that first shift could be the next day. And so, um, again, we know it goes back to this paycheck balance thing is that if people are not working, they need to get back to work. And the sooner they get a shift and, and get into the system, the sooner they'll get a paycheck. Got it. So um, I think. People, all roads leading back to Stephen, um, I presume start with leadinghomecare.com. That's where you can actually find the home care CEO mastermind groups as well. Uh, Conquering the crisis, proven strategies for caregiver recruiting and retention. That can be found on Amazon. Is that right? Yes. And you can get a direct link to it uh, on another page on our website. And the URL for that is just conqueringthecrisis.com. And you can also get to the mastermind groups directly uh, we have a URL, homecareceo.com. We're actually in the process of building a whole new website for the CEO forum, and that'll roll out uh, by the end of the year. 
Um, and so the URL for that will continue to be uh, homecareceo.com. And I saw uh, plenty of um, great references on your website from uh, basically a collection of who's who in home care. So uh, you've been an amazing ambassador for the industry. And I'll get you out of here on this uh, last question. Um, give us a reason to be optimistic about care delivered in the place that clients call home. Well, I'll give you a couple of reasons because it, it comes together nicely. Um, the number one reason is that the data are very clear that older adults want to receive care at home. And this has really been exaggerated through COVID with all of the challenges with nursing homes and senior living communities and the dangers that people saw there. And so, number one, older adults are more comfortable in their own home. And number two, they're afraid to go into a facility now. And so people want to be cared for uh, at home. So given that, then it becomes a matter of how do we create the, the industry, the business model, the infrastructure to have companies that can meet those needs. And as we said earlier, that's a highly fragmented industry. So what we see is the industry coming together with companies growing larger and the consolidation in the industry. And so by having larger companies, it gives us the ability to have a more sophisticated leadership structure, more sophisticated technology, uh, putting systems in place. And you had asked a question earlier about lessons we learned. And, and I was going back through uh, some material I had created uh, for the Home Care Association of America a couple of years ago, I did a presentation called Lessons from the Mega Companies. And uh, one of those lessons is that that the leaders of these bigger companies are systems thinkers. And they think in the context of, of a system, which is a combination of process, that is step by step by step. Here's how you do this task that is repeated every day or a couple times a week. And then people, and it's having people who are willing to do the step-by-step -step process consistently and have the discipline to, and as you know, being software people, um, if it if it wasn't documented, it wasn't done. And if you don't put it into Eliot Care, then when you go back in to get the data out, you, you don't have it. And so um, part of that discipline, and our, our message to our people is document every single touch point between the home care company and anybody outside the, the home care company. So if you touch it, an applicant or a caregiver with a phone call, a v, an, an email, a text message, document it. If you touch a client, document. If you touch a referral source, document it. And it's only when you document each of those touch points that you have the raw data but as you know, Jeff, data by itself is useless. It's just bits and bytes stored in that computer. It's only when we analyze and tabulate that data that we get information. And so your reporting system creates reports that tabulate the, the data into information that we can use. But again, that information is not really very helpful because in most industries we're were information rich, but knowledge poor. And so analyzing and synthesizing the information gives us the knowledge. And then I always say knowledge plus gray hair equals wisdom. <laughs> you know, so knowledge plus experience. And so what we're seeing with these larger 
more sophisticated home care companies is leaders who have the data, the information, and the knowledge, and they have the experience and wisdom to make good strategic decisions. And so a lot of the things that we're talking about today have come out of our work with these companies in the top 10% of the industry, or the top 5% of the industry, who bring that level of sophistication, curiosity, knowledge, wisdom to be able to, to make good decisions, to put in place systems that make their business run more smoothly, that make their caregivers feel more valued and appreciated, that make their clients have a more positive customer experience. Well, you uh, really struck a nerve with me in, in talking about systems thinkers because I'm rereading Atomic Habits right now. Ah, yeah. He draws the analogy of everyone wants to win the Super Bowl. Everyone has that same goal and only one team does because they've got the best system in place. Um, my takeaways, I take notes during all of these uh, episodes and I've reached three full pages here, uh, but love the idea around um, – once you get a caregiver to sign up that you have this culture of making sure everyone knows what the paycheck balance is and that you've got this structured series of touch points where it's the back office's job to make sure that the caregivers get the love and attention that they need and you care for the caregiver and that uh, even before all of that happens, even though it's a situation where there are far more clients than there are caregivers, that we as an industry should not be settling for the bad hires that are just going to be a pain for everybody. So I want to thank you for coming on, Stephen. This has been so informative, and I think uh, we will bump into each other at a conference at some stage. So I look forward to meeting in uh, real life, and uh, thanks for coming on today. Well, thank you, Jeff, and appreciate all that you and your company are doing for the industry and appreciate all your listeners. And if we can help anyone any further, if you have questions, you can reach out to us at leadinghomecare.com uh, or you can email me directly, Stephen, S-T-P-H-E-N, at leadinghomecare.com. Always happy to answer questions and offer resources to help folks uh, grow their business, care for more clients, and hire more caregivers. Awesome. Thanks, Stephen. Take care. Thank you very much. Home Health 360 is presented by Eliacare. First off, I want to thank our amazing guests and listeners. To get more episodes, you can go to eliacare.com forward slash home health 360. That's spelled home health 360. Or search home health 360 on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. The easiest way to stay up to date on our new shows is to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We also have a newsletter you can sign up for on aliacare.com forward slash homehealth360 to get alerts for new shows and more valuable content from Aliacare right into your inbox. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.